liftoff and the clock has started. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 12 of Connect 5, the exclusive podcast from ATD Central Iowa, bringing you the stories, insights, and need-to-know information right from the people who have it to help you thrive in talent development. ATD Central Iowa is Iowa's largest chapter of the National Association for Talent Development, focused on bringing our members high-impact programming, resources, and connections to support personal and professional development and continuous growth. Check us out at atdiowa.org and all of our social media channels to learn more about the benefits of membership and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Adam Rich, and we've got yet another incredibly special guest here in the virtual studio today who goes by the name of Molly Mackey. Molly, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So even though you're living your best life out in eastern Iowa, uh, you've been a pretty good supporter of <laughs> our central Iowa chapter. And it's been great getting to know you, you know, since we first met, which is, I think, a few years ago. Um, but for those folks that haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting you, tell everyone who is Molly Mackey. Oh, you start off with a loaded question. That's great. <laughs> so I am, I would say, a, a trainer of leaders, mother of four, just someone who believes in in learning. And I can tell you a little bit more of, you know, why I do what I do. So I don't know if you've had this experience, but you've had a couple of days off. You've spent it with people you love, doing things you enjoy, nice, relaxing time. And then the night before work hits you. And there's that like rock in your gut and there's that tightness in your chest and your head starts spinning and you're like, you don't want to go back to work. And it's not your job. You're good at your job. You even like some of your coworkers. It's your boss. They make your life a living nightmare. Whether they criticize you or they take credit for projects or whatever it is. I believe too many people have had that, that experience. And so if we intentionally intertwine learning and leadership those ongoing journeys, we can create better leaders and better leaders equal better lives. And I believe everyone should have the benefit of a great leader in their life. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what you do. Like, you know, what I, you say you're a mother of four, uh, you're, you love leading uh, or training leaders and providing education and stuff. Tell us a little bit about your kind of your day job and, and all the wonderful side hustles you got going on. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I am at a wonderful health and human service company called Optimate Life Services. I'm their CAT director, knowledge acquisition and transfer director there. This year, we started our internal leadership program. That's been one of the bigger projects that I've worked on. We have folks all across the state of Iowa, six different regions, come together on a quarterly basis for two days of intense learning. And we bring in different different folks for speaking, different topics. Uh, do that. I also organize their annual leadership conference, put together their training for folks, technical, you know, some of our people skills training and leadership training. And then my business, my side hustle, as you say, which uh, someday will be my my main hustle is uh, called Leadership Institute. And I'm not pronouncing that wrong. I put the N in leadership and capitalize the learn. So we put learn in leadership. Yeah. And Love so it. with that, I do go out. I work with some of the community colleges. So anywhere from like manufacturing to oh, health and human services, a bunch of different organizations to provide training to their frontline leadership. I also speak at several different conferences. This past year, I've got the pleasure of working with the Iowa Hospital Association, doing some conferences with them. Last week, I was actually in Kansas and had the pleasure of speaking at the the case conference, Kansas Adult Care Executives. 
cool conference. I mean, they had stuff from like AI to active shooter to people skills to way cool lineup and got to meet some cool people down there. So really just trying to get out, meet folks, do some, do some training, do some speaking and meet fun people. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fabulous. I know you are a presenter at our professional development day conference. That was last year, right? Two years ago. Yep. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't make the cut last year. It was one of, I was on a, I was on a losing streak. I got like five rejection emails for speaking in a row. Oh no. (laughs) It was, I'm going to apply this year though. So I think the lesson learned is I needed to tailor my title and content and presentation more towards the audience. And that's what I learned from, you know, you gotta, you gotta get some lows. You gotta suck sometimes and you just pick it back up and, and carry on. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, actually my dad in our last episode of connect five, we interviewed him uh, and he shared a similar story about how many times he's failed or how many times he's thrown something out there and failed. And then the one thing that landed was the thing that really springboarded the success. So that re- resonates with me. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And and I guess for anybody out listening, our, our professional development day, 2024, was just announced our big theme. It's called Innovation Amplified, Power Your Potential. So a uh, little shameless plug for everybody out there uh, as you're thinking about speaking. But I want to uh, explore with you because I, I've seen you all over LinkedIn and you're always doing a lot of moving and shaking nowadays. You know, you get your speaking engagements, you're doing keynotes, you're writing books. So just like all the things that's going on. Uh, but one of the topics that you cover pretty extensively is psychological safety. And I think this goes back a little bit to what you were talking about in your intro. But what is it about that topic that inspires you? If there was one thing that I wish every single leader could understand, that it would be the power of psychological safety. It is the number one thing. If you want to have a high performing team, if you want to have a great workplace, it it underlines all of those things. And for those folks that are like, oh, what is psychological safety? Is that a mental health thing? That's a question I get a lot. What What is it? Psychological safety is basically you being able to come to work, bring your unique self, be able to, to fail and learn from those lessons and just feel really safe taking risks, being respected in the team. We all have, because of how we evolved, we evolved as social animals. So we all have this interpersonal fear, right? If I go into a group of new people that I don't know, you know, I'm probably not going to start dancing and singing and making a fool out of myself. Nobody wants to go and, and make a fool out of my, out of themselves, whether it's, you know, socially or at work. And so sometimes that, especially in the workplace, will dampen innovation. People may have some really great ideas, but they're like, okay, we've never done that before. I'm not going to speak up. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm just going to be quiet. So there's some things that leaders can do to create an environment where people feel psychologically safe, where they feel like, okay, I can bring my unique self as quirky as I am. I can bring my ideas. I can tell people when I mess up because they're not going to yell at me. They're going to say, what did you learn from that? And how can we do better? The concept of psychological safety has been researched a lot, especially since Google had its Aristotle project. But before that, Amy Edmondson was a researcher and she was doing her PhD work. She had a theory that high-performing teams made less mistakes, which seems like an, you know, kind of intuitive thesis, right? 
went into a hospital, did her research, data came back. It was correlated, but not in the way she thought it was going to be. And so like most of us that have a confirmation bias, we go out and try to seek data that confirms what we already know. She said, I'm going to repeat this experiment because this is weird. It's, it's not what I expect. So she did. She brought in a, another research assistant, brought in a third party to examine some of the mistakes. And she found the same thing. Well, how can it be that these high performing teams make just as many, if not more mistakes than the low performing teams? And what she found is this concept of psychological safety. People could admit their mistakes. They were used as learning opportunities. And because of that, those teams were able to perform at a high level and higher level than other teams. You know, she published her research in some like scientific journal that nobody ever reads, like back in the 90s. It didn't become popular until in 2016, Google published its findings. They had 180 different teams across the organization. And they were like, we are going to find it. Like, we are going to find the magic formula. You know how they have algorithms for everything. Like, we're going to have it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be, you know, we're, we're going to find the key, right? We're engineers. We're going to put this on a spreadsheet. We're going to design the best teams. So they looked at how big were the teams? What experience did they have? What education did they have? They even measured how often they had lunch together. And when they got their data back, there was no correlation at, at all until they found her research. And that was the one thing that their high-performing teams had was psychological safety. Every single one of the high-performers had it. Every single one of the low-performers had little, if any. That's incredible. And I love hearing the research back behind it because I, you know, I hear a lot about the concept and it's something that we talk about at my organization as well. And, and I think it's, it's really interesting when I think about the, the teams that I've been a part of that I have felt have been very high performing, you know, just anecdotally, like, I feel like we are uh, getting along, we're creating great work. And there was a lot of camaraderie, a lot of collaboration. And I, and I think, you know, really thinking about that, it comes back to that exact same concept that we were able to try things. We were able to experiment. We were able to kind of step outside of what the norm was. And we had the support to do that. Um, and I feel that same way right now. One of the things I love the most about what I do and who I work for, uh, who we actually talked to on Connect5 recently as well, Ms. Rana Baranovas, big shout out to you, um, is is because of those exact same things. So um, I appreciate that. What, what do you... You know, if you were to give one piece of advice to leaders about, you know, what's I know there's a lot of things, but like that one thing that you can do in order to really promote this, uh, what would you know, kind of what would that key point be? I usually give four, but if I had to boil it down to just just one of the pieces of advice, it's ask first, speak last. As leaders, they have outsized voices. If I come to a team and I say, hey, we've got this problem. How do we solve it? And I throw out an idea first, that's going to dampen the other voices because in their minds, you've already, you've already made your decision. Why are you asking me? Right. So Simon Sinek has a book called Leaders Eat Last. I always like to say Amy Edmondson says leaders speak last. Ask the question, pause, get everybody's input. If it if it's something large and you need to ask the question and have people ponder it for a little bit, some of your folks on your team may need a, some time to process it. 
ask the question at a meeting, you know, a week later, come back. What were your thoughts? What did you all come up with? And make sure everybody on your team speaks first and then go ahead and give give your opinion. Yeah, I love that advice. And and I want to kind of stay on that on that leader thought as well, because you do a lot of conversations, a lot of uh, training engagements with leadership, so leadership-specific training. And, uh, and there are a number of listeners out there, I think myself included, who build, design, facilitate, coordinate training uh, for leaders in their organization. So what are you seeing based on your experiences being kind of the critical skill gaps or the things that are the, you know, the highest priority or the trends that you're seeing as you're, you know, you're going and engaging and doing these things uh, across various organizations? That's really interesting because it doesn't matter if it's manufacturing, health and human services, you name the industry, leadership skills are universal. And what we see time and time again is that people get promoted into positions because they're technically proficient. They're very good at what they do. And they're not necessarily good with people, which is like the one thing you need to to be, to be a good leader. Right. You know, for example, when I was talking to the folks down in Kansas, they have their, it's called the AIT program. It's administrator and training. These folks have to go through 480 hours of on the job training. Then they have to take a couple tests. None of that training includes the specific things on leadership. It's all like, you know, what are the, what are the fire codes you have to have in the assisted living? How many people do you have to have on staff? What happens? You have a have a critical incident. So there, there's that, that, that huge gap because we need to teach people how to be leaders, whether it's emotional intelligence, whether it's conflict, whether it's psychological safety, how do you build a team? How do you build a culture? How do you manage yourself in a way that can help promote a good culture for your organization? The more that things are taken over by, by AI and other tools, that we have, the more that leaders are going to be important in creating an environment where people want to come to work and do creative work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think about, well, I listeners of this podcast have heard me talk about this before, but we've had conversations or really one of our, our big initiatives that we're looking at right now in my company is around people-centered leadership. And it's those same things that's, you know, we've been so process-oriented and not just you know, at Athene where I am, but, you know, I I think everywhere is it, you know, we have people just like you mentioned that are very high performing individual contributors. They get promoted into a leadership role because they were high performing individual contributors, but then the skill set is just so incredibly different. And it's one that's, you know, there's so much into it that there's, it's hard to really wrap your head, but really the most important thing is, you know, how are you connecting with your teams? How are you making them feel? Are you, you know, do they feel valued? Do they feel like you they are being heard? And those are things that, uh, in my opinion, aren't terribly difficult to do as a leader, you know, to be present and just show your that you're there and you're available for people. But there's all these things happening. But but if you've never done that before, or you don't know that that's expected, then how you know how are you going to do that? So it does require some some bit of support there. But I appreciate that note because it's you know something that I, I feel like I'm hearing more and more and more and more as uh, you know I'm out on LinkedIn or I'm listening to other podcasts or, or reading research and things like that. So um, I, I want to pivot for the this last kind of question of our first segment here to talk. And you talked a little bit about this already, but these emerging technologies, AI, and staying on top mm-hmm. of these things. 
is critical uh, for us as learning and talent development professionals uh, and artificial intelligence AI for anybody that's been living under a rock for a while is kind of the talk <laughs> of the town right now. Uh, so what is your advice? Because you do uh, some keynotes or you have some content around uh, artificial intelligence and how it relates to kind of our, our job. So what's your advice for people about how to leverage these new technologies to stay relevant? Absolutely. AI can do some amazing things. When you're putting together a training, say you need to have some images. We all know that people need not just words on the slide, right? We need nice images. You can go to different sites and type specifically in what you want and AI will generate it for you. Now, sometimes it does some weird things like people have two mouths or like, I don't know if you played that at all. <laughs> like you can get some... Sometimes it is like right there. It's specifically what you want. Sometimes it's a little interesting. It's still still working. But the last that I had read in the news, a judge ruled that any art that was made by a machine is not copyrighted, which is nice because when you put together a presentation as a learning and development professional, say you go to Google, it could be a copyrighted image. Right. If you go out to these AI tools and you make them yourself, you know where they came from. You've got specific ones to your needs. For example, I was doing a conflict presentation and I wanted a sign that had my acronym Beware Conflict with red tones to kind of match the presentation. I typed that into AI. It spit out a beautiful image for me to use. Awesome. A couple other things I've used it for. Sometimes I'm very direct when I describe like a session, right? I'm like, we're going to learn the four stages of psychological safety. There you go. That's what you'll take away. Well, in marketing, you need a little bit more, more fluff. So you can put into AI, give me a 200 word marketing description for a talk on psychological safety. And it will do that. It's a great springboard for, for different things. I've also used it to do training follow-up emails. So we did a, we call it Captivate and Educate Your Team, where we do different things on what are some different train, uh, team building things you can do. How do you run a meeting? What does that look like? How do you keep your people engaged? And then doing a follow-up email, I had it write that. You can have it do a whole bunch of different things that can make you as, as a leader, as a learning and development professional, a lot more proficient at your job. It saves time. So if you have an, ex my advice would be just go explore it, experiment with it. What, what can you get it to do? You know, share your ideas and what's, what's your experience? What have you used it for? I, I, I've been trying to do a better job recently of leveraging more tools like, a, you know, like chat GPT and things. I, I love writing. Writing is one of my favorite things in the entire world to do all sorts of different writing, whether I'm kind of a nerd about business writing and email writing and things like that. But it's all of those other things. Like you mentioned, like training programs or there's all these like. You know, you facilitate the training, but then you've got like pre-session announcements. You've got post-session announcements. You've got all these other things that you have to do. And and I've started leveraging ChatGPT specifically for at least getting the ball rolling on those things, you know, and being able to tweak things. And even I'm not going to lie, even for PDD, I was trying to come up with different 
theme ideas and I was just striking out. I just couldn't land on anything. So I chucked it into chat GPT. Give me some themes around this. And they spit some out. I was like, Ooh, I kind of like that word. I kind of like that word. I kind of like that word uh, and was able to cobble something together that I felt pretty proud of. So uh, I appreciate that insight. And it's exciting to think about where all of this stuff is going to go. I mean, it's accelerated so much, right? Just over the last couple of years. So when we look two years, three years, five years down the road, where are we going to be then? Uh, And how is that going to help? That's kind of also terrifying, I guess, at the same time to think about. It, it is. There is, I believe it's the Center for Responsible Technology. They have an hour talk that they gave this spring and summer. You can find it on YouTube that really makes people think, what are the dangers of AI? If we know now what are all the dangers of social media what that caused with whether it's disinformation or conflict or what have you, people feeling not good about themselves because there's curated pictures. We also, well, I encourage people to play with the technology. We also need to look at what are the dangers of it. Right. I saw I saw on, uh, well, I guess X now. I, I have to retrain my brain. It's not Twitter anymore. Uh, on X the other day, I saw... <laughs> Related to the political campaigns that are going on right now, since it's 2023, uh, somebody had used AI to put Ron DeSantis's face on Steve Carell's character from The Office. And it was like his voice, <laughs> his face, like everything. And and it looked like, I mean, when you really get your eyes in there close, you're like, OK, well, that's definitely not real. But like if you're just you know sitting back looking at it, it was I was blown away. And then so that led me down that rabbit trail, too, of like, oh, my gosh, we can't trust anything. Like Mr. Yeah. Conspiracy Theory guy now all of a sudden. Well, that was one of the things that the the gentleman from the technology center said was, how do you know if something's real? You can doctor pictures, you can doctor voices. They said something like it takes a three second clip of somebody's voice and then you can train AI to to talk like them. Wow. So it's it's scary. It's exciting and scary at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of exciting and scary, uh, I would like this is a terrible segue. It has nothing to do with exciting and scary, although I am excited for what's coming next. Uh, And that is now that we've gotten to know you a little bit uh, to hear some more stories from Molly Mackey. So uh, I say we run down the five. Are you in to get that rolling? Uh, It's on. Let's do it. It's time for the This is the point in the show where we ask you, Molly, to run down the five. The lesson learned, so something you learned the hard way through a mistake or failure. The story, a story about a memorable event or experience in your career. The secret to success, so a tip or insight about what you think is the most important thing someone needs to do or skill they need to have to be successful in talent development. We'll ask you to give us the hot take, a controversial or unpopular opinion you have about the field of talent development and the role model, so somebody who is influential in your career. Uh, So let's just run it down from the very top. And first up on the list is the lesson learned. It's the lesson learned. All right. I love stories. I think stories should be in every training, every speaking engagement. However, it pays off to run your stories by someone before you you take them live. The first time. (laughs) I, I will. Oh, the first time I did con- my conflict training, I have a training called High Conflict to Constructive Conflict. I wanted a story about 
someone who says something or does something after they've had that amygdala hijack where your your brain's flooded, your body's flooded with these chemicals and you say or do something that you wouldn't normally say or do. And I thought back to a time where it was my 21st birthday and my partner and I were with another couple enjoying, you know, adult beverages as you do on your 21st birthday. And I don't remember what she said, but he said something I can't repeat because the story shouldn't be in any okay. <laughs> Right. But I actually said it in the training because it was a good example. It just, you know, he'd snapped and it was a virtual training. As soon as I got done saying that sentence, somebody typed in the chat, you need more professional examples. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> was it in the moment or was that like you had planned? Like, that's the story I'm going to tell or was it kind of off the cuff? I had planned it. I was a little uneasy about it. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to land. You know, you should go with your gut or check it out with someone. And what's always funny is I've told the story about the story many times. And there's always one person that comes up and you're like, but what did you say? <laughs> it's a, it's a secret. For an take hour, it, and that's the one thing that you want to know. Yeah. Taking it to the grave. The world will never know. It's like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? It's the same thing. Right. No, that's that's great. Practice your stories. Know what you're going to say. Uh, I love that. That is a great lesson learned. We got next up on the docket. That is, well, speaking of stories, it is the story. It's story time. Yeah. I love that you started off the podcast with talking about psychological safety because that ties in to this story. I work with a wonderful leader. She's the CEO of a health and human service company. And she's really great with me as far as she knows that I go out and, and speak different places that I do training in different places. She's very supportive of that. She actually does some of that herself. She's a wonderful speaker. We happened to be at the same conference last fall. It was the SHRM conference. I was speaking at 7 a.m., which is way too early in the morning for me. But that's that's what you get seven, when you're like- 7 a.m. session? A 7 a.m. session. Who does that? And there was like, there was like 60 people in the room. I'm like, y'all show up that early. That's I'd be there. I love a good morning thing. I'm a morning person. But anyways, I derail your story. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Keep going. (laughs) Anyway, so I spoke at seven in the morning. She wasn't able to to make that because of prior engagements. And she was speaking at 10. So I hung around for her session. She hadn't spoke because of the whole COVID thing. It'd been a couple of years since she had spoken out in public. So she sits me down before her talk and says, I want you to give me your candid feedback. What did I do right? What could be improved? Not as someone that's your supervisor, but, you know, as someone who, who's a fellow speaker, basically. She said, I'm not going to ask you for it today. We'll take a break and, you know, you can give it to me sometime, but I really want to know what, what I can do to be better. Starts off her talk. She's a master storyteller, wonderful storyteller, great speaker. 
I look at her slides. They could use a little bit of work. Some of the graphics, stuff like that. You know, the easy, like the soft pitch, easy stuff that you can improve. So I'm writing stuff down. Well, I happen to notice, and now I happen to notice this because I listened to a recording of myself. It would have been like a month or two earlier using the filler word, right? Many times when people try to get over the ums and the ah, they fill it with right. What I did, I didn't, I wanted to give her the best feedback possible. I wanted to give her very objective feedback. So I had a column for um, and I had a column for right. And I just did little tally marks because I can't be like, oh, you said right a lot. That's not good feedback. What is that specific feedback? What does that look like? There were a lot of tally marks in addition to some of my other suggestions. She gets done with her talk and it happened to be, this never happens, but we both had some extra time. She's like, hey, do you want to go to coffee? Sure. Go in the, in the hotel there. There was a nice little place to have coffee. And we sat down and just started talking about different consulting ideas. And what do you do when you speak? What does it look like when you do consulting? Because she's spoken, she's consulted, you know, for way more, many, many years than I have. And then she asked me, well, what feedback do you have? In the back of my mind, I was going, you said you were going to ask me today. I got to. <laughs> and I start off with just the, the basics. Hey, we could improve your images a little bit. You know, people are very visual. Some of your fonts. I've got a marketing guy that's like, hey, any PowerPoint needs at least 26 point font, period, the end. You know, bigger font, the better. So I'm very like, particular on that. He's like drilled that into me. Did that, gave her some good feedback. You know, I loved this story. That story was great. Your timing's great. She can master a stage, very, very great presence. And you know, that interpersonal fear that we talked about, I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tell her or do, or do I like, she's the CEO. She could fire me. Like what? Uh, ah. And I said, I don't think folks noticed this as much as I did because I caught myself doing this in a talk. You said, ah, right, a lot. And, and, um, and she looks at my paper and she sees the tally marks. And she's like, I said, right, 60 times in a 60 minute talk. And I was like, yeah, don't fire me. Like, I didn't say that. <laughs> she said two words to me and luckily they weren't you're fired she said thank you she said because of my position and where I'm at in the organization people won't hold that mirror up to me they will tell me I'm wonderful they will tell me I did a good job and I don't get the candid feedback I need so thank you I appreciate it and I was like oh. I mean you want to talk about a leader that creates psychological safety. If she can know that about herself, if I can give that 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 candid feedback to her, now I know I can I can bring ideas, I can bring different things, I can take risks with her. Mm -hmm. Now most people know that part of the story. I tell that story when I talk about psychological safety quite a bit. But they don't know as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Would you like the rest of the story, Adam? 
I would love the rest of the story. Yes. <laughs> Let's hear it. Six months later, I'm talking at the IACP conference and she happens to get to see me speak. It's a very, very interactive presentation. It's an intentional, creating an intentional life by building balanced boundaries. We do a lot of activities. I ask for audience participation. What do you guys do to, you know, keep your mental health up, keep your social health up? What does that look like? I didn't realize it, but every time someone would have an idea, I would just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get to the end of the presentation. And she said, you know, every time someone would say that, you would say, yeah. And I almost said, yeah. I caught myself saying yeah <laughs> to what she was saying. I was like, oh. And she's like, and I've got the tally marks. <laughs> oh, she brought, yeah, she brought the research. She brought the evidence. She brought it. She she had done, she'd done exactly what I had done. She's got she'd got the tally marks. And that was great because I came from a place of mutual respect, right? wanting each other to do well, lifting each other up and saying, hey, I noticed you did this thing. Let's tweak it a little bit. Let's both get better together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that story. That, and you made me think I had a conversation with my wife I, two days ago, I think it was, about what the most patronizing filler words are and right and okay, were the two that I think we landed on of like when somebody says that all the time, like, oh, please just no, stop doing that. Oh, it's it's frustrating. And some good speakers do it too. Right. There I go. I was, hey, I can't stop myself. Right. Right. <laughs> there is there the speaker I heard the other day. She did a wonderful job. She spoke on trauma and having a trauma-informed workplace, which I think is really important. And hers was K. 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 I just responded the tally marks because I just wanted to see like it was bothering me. I had to do something. That's great. It's such good feedback. And, it, and I had this conversation with, again, somebody the other day recently. It's like that, you know, filler words is probably one of the most difficult things to really get on top of and master. And it takes a a lot of really conscious thought and effort into it. And I think it leads us into our next uh, our next little piece of the five here, but all of it is, you know, having it basically takes somebody to point that out for you. I think that to me is one of the most valuable things is like, I want you to listen to my filler words and tell me how many I did. And then that's a great way to see it. But there is another way to see your filler words. And that leads us to the secret to success. Oh, it does. When you're a trainer, when you're a speaker, when you're a leader, if you have the opportunity to listen to a, a recording of yourself, it is painful. Nobody wants to do it. It just, oh, it's not fun. Let's just put it that way. The first time I saw a recording of myself, I'd actually done a why learn when I can Google it, which I've now turned into why learn when there's AI presentation, <laughs> keep up with the times a little bit. I said, um, so many times in that recording, it was embarrassing. I, I, I didn't do the tally marks at that time. I I'm sure they would have covered an, an entire page. It was terrible. And then, like I mentioned, it was a few months later that I had the opportunity to listen to myself talk at a 
a conference where I used write all the time. Sometimes you'll notice when I speak, there'll be some interesting pauses. One of the things that I've really tried to train myself to do, and it may be helpful for other folks, is don't use the um, right, K, you know, in general conversation. If you can break that habit in general conversation and be very mindful of that, it will help you so much when you're presenting. So being able to not only have yourself recorded, watch it, if you're able to share that with other folks, get their perspective, but really, if you have to have a weird pause in there, I'd rather have a weird pause than a, um, um, right, right. And now I just gave away my secret. <laughs> no, that's a, it's a great secret because I, I love that secret. And it's one of my favorites because it's one that I abuse whenever, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty comfortable speaker in front of people, but we had, uh, there's a leadership program that I run here uh, within my organization. And one of the exercises around public speaking. And this year I said, we're going to record you in your homework is to watch it and then bring it to your sponsors, watch it with them and get all that feedback. And it was the conversation that happened the next month after they, they'd done that. And we came back together and I asked them how it went was everybody was like, everybody had an aha moment, every single person. And it's like, this is one of the best ways that you can do this. And even for virtual presentations, if I have a little like 10 minute spiel that I'm going to give uh, on a virtual meeting or something, and I've created a little PowerPoint deck, I will record myself in a team's meeting running that presentation. And I will watch that back ahead of times because there's other things, you know, in-person is one thing. Virtual is, is a whole other ball game of, of the way that you present yourself because, you know, there's limited scope, all that stuff. But I could not think of a, a secret to success that I agree more wholeheartedly with than what I just heard from you, Ms. Molly Mackey. So thank you very much for sharing. Absolutely. I love that, that you do that with your leaders in your organization. That's awesome. I would do. I took a, a workshop when I was at Nationwide Insurance. It was like a facilitator workshop, whatever. And that was one of the things. And in the morning, it was all like, you know, theory and learning. What do you do? What do you not do? And then the afternoon, you had to facilitate a 15 minute something or other. And then part of it was recording. And I think back to that experience, too. And I loved everything about that, too. But it is very if you're not used to doing it, it is just incredibly uncomfortable. But I, I would say it gets better as you do it more and more and more. You stop looking at yourself so critically. So. Anyways, uh, that is three down, two to go. And coming up next for us is the hot take. Give it to me now. Hot take. Oh, is this the one that's like unpopular or un yeah. like controversial? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this. And I shouldn't because I'm a I'm a conference speaker as well. Like nobody's going to hire me after this. When we <laughs> when we look at learning, when we look at high performance learning journeys, It doesn't take just once, right? That's the problem with a lot of times folks will come to us and say, I've got this problem. I need it fixed. Make a training. We'll fix it. Like one training is going to fix everything or one time of going to a conference is going to fix everything. And it doesn't. We really need to look at how do you have multiple learning sessions, different ways of looking at it. Leadership programs, for example, they do need to be at least a year long. They need mm -hmm. to have multiple sessions, multiple ways. We need to repeat things, even though that's not fun for trainers. 
yeah, it takes more than it takes more than one session. Now, I do believe that like in conferences, et cetera, there's a social aspect to those. Those are fun. And if you can pick a lot of times people go to those and they're like, I'm going to take everything. I've got so many good ideas. Take one thing or one thing from the different categories of speakers that you've seen and implement that first. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's like going on a fad diet, but like in a leadership sense. You're like, I'm going to do everything different. No, let's pick a couple things. Or better yet, one thing. Make it a habit. Once you've got that ingrained, let's change something else. I The easy fix is one workshop or one training. And that, to me, is one of the hardest things about being in organizational development or being in training or learning and development is that it is... In my opinion, this might be a hot take in and of itself. It's not that hard to put together a workshop, my personal right. opinion. But the hard thing is ensuring, putting mechanisms in place to ensure that people have the opportunity to put that thing into play or to continue learning or to dig more into a topic that they want. And that stuff is really where the rubber meets the road and where the difficulty lies and the time lies. Because creating a really Mm -hmm. comprehensive program that is really going to move the needle is 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 really time intensive and it requires a lot of effort and thought into it. We're just spitting out a training course. Congratulations, everybody trained uh, is never <laughs> going to do it. So that hot take is one again, just like everything I've heard you say so far that I wholeheartedly agree with. So I feel like I'm uh, talking to the uh, talking to my doppelganger here, talking to the same person <laughs> just somewhere else. Uh, so anyways, I guess, uh, I guess it'd probably be a little bit more interesting if we started fighting on the podcast. That might get you some ratings. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've never fought with a guest before, but I'm not opposed to it. I don't know. We'll just think of something. It might be too late, though. I, I have too much respect for you to get mad and fight with you right now. So anyways, we, we are way off the rails at this point, but we have one final piece of the five to cover, and that is the role model. <laughs> The role model. This is a great, great question. And I heard you mention your dad earlier. When I was thinking about that question, at first I thought in terms of work role models. But if I really wanted a, a life role model, it would be my dad. My dad's awesome. He he grew up, he was one of 10 children. He grew up in poverty. I think they maybe had a two-bedroom house. There was abuse in the household. I won't get into that, but it was not good. And he had every excuse not to do well in life. Every excuse not to do well. But instead, he got done in col- with college in three and a half years. He put himself through law school and ended up being one of the youngest judges appointed in Iowa. He was actually appointed as a district court judge that he was around like the nine counties in northern Iowa at the age of 32, which is pretty amazing. A lot of folks don't get that high in their career until until they're a lot older. He worked on the bench for 20 years and then he got to retire in his early 50s. And anytime I have an issue, I can go to him and just get a good perspective. He just has such good advice. He thinks about things very pragmatically, very logically, probably because he was a judge for 20 years. That's just within his skill set. And he'll just give me a different, different perspective. I know I was a financial advisor for 
years I was in the financial industry. And when I got out of it, I found myself in a place where I'm like, what do I, what do I, what do I do? What do I be when I grow up? What does that look like? I don't know. I went back to teaching a little bit, but then I got in health and human services and, you know, I finally am comfortable with the place that I'm at now, but that was rough. And, you know, I would go to him because my mom was like, oh, you only make that in health and human services. Oh, that's not much. You got, you know, you got a master. You got this, blah, 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 blah. And I go to my dad and he's like, but are you happy? And I was like, yeah, I, I love this job. It's great. They're good with me. They're flexible. Just, just a different perspective. And I've always been able to rely on him for that. Giving you that psychological safety coming from your dad. That is great yeah. to hear. <laughs> That is fabulous. Uh, I I love it. And and I've had just an incredible time talking with you today, Molly. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great how I don't even know how long we've been talking for. It feels like uh, I could just keep talking to you forever. So thank you so much. Hopefully it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, really good time. Thank you. Thank you for being my my first podcast ever. Super yeah, first of, of many. We got to get the word out. <laughs> give Molly Mackey, give her a call. It's great. You'll go check the show notes and you'll, you'll get her contact information. So thank you so much, Molly, for being here. And of course, thank you to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again soon for yet another absolutely can't miss episode of Connect 5. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and connect with us on social media. Then head out to atdiowa.org for the latest information about upcoming events and how you can get connected to all the benefits of chapter membership. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Rich, and on behalf of ATD Central Iowa, goodbye from Connect 5.